all aboard! Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the latest film from David Leitch. It is, of course, the very fun action comedy Bullet Train or Shinkansen if you want to use the actual Japanese word for the bullet train. I've been on one. I've been on one. Chris Hewitt dropping knowledge. Don't want to, don't want to boast too much but I've been at one it was great fun uh, didn't get attacked by a group of international assassins you have to pay extra for that <laughs> anyway uh, joining me to discuss this movie over the next ooh, 45 minutes to 50 minutes or so are two uh, two Thomas the Tank Engine colleagues of <laughs> such lethal cunning I of course am Sir Topham Hat uh, <laughs> but we're joined by Helen O'Hara, who, I, Helen, I would say that you are a, quick Google, um, <laughs> I would say that you are a, oh, cranky, no, that's a bit too on the nose. Uh, wow. There's, there's, what? Wow. There's, there's a genuine Commerce Tank Engine guard called Cranky. He's a not... crane. He's a crane. <laughs> yeah, but he's a he. He is a he. Maybe but, I should be. You know, um... But if I just, if I just, uh, you know, if I restrict you to the female trains, I don't think you're going to come off that well. Thomas the Tank Engine is a very patriarchal world. It is dominated by, can I be honest, can I see, dicks? Wow. Wow. It's dominated by dicks, guys. That's all I'm going to say. So you could be a Thomas, of course. You could be a James or an, or an Edward or a Percy or a Gordon or a Toby or a Henry. But when it comes to ladies, Helen, mm-hmm. pickets are pretty slim. There's mm. an Emily... Emily, yeah, um, yeah, a bit fussy and impulsive. I'm not sure that's really me. <laughs> Daisy, who's Daisy? What's she She's doing? She's a green di- diesel diesel rail car. What What's her characteristics? Uh, she doesn't really have any. <laughs> Great. Okay. Please welcome. <laughs> please welcome Daisy. And uh, Amon Warman is also here. And Amon, you are. I'm going to say you're a. And this is purely. I don't know Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, you're a Gordon. I'll accept that. Is Gordon okay? What's Gordon? Gordon the big engine. <laughs> oh, hey. Well, well, well. I like this more and more. And <laughs> <laughs> he pulls all the other trains I'm on. Oh, Am no. I right? Oh, what? What? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, that's gone bad. Uh, <laughs> Gordon the big engine is one of the main protagonists of the classic series of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, the tetarchinist of all the new series and CGI series. The what <laughs> Anyway, he's a senior member of the Steam team. Please welcome Amon Warman. Choo choo. (laughs) Wow. What is happening? All right, should we talk about Bullet Train? Oh, thank God. Now we've assigned our names. And we're all happy with them. Daisy, Sir Topham Hat. And of course, Gordon the Big Uh, let's talk about Bullet Train. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with this movie, but first, that's here from the people who made it. That's here from David Leach, action director extraordinaire, and his producing partner and partner in real life, Kelly McCormick. Uh, they came into London a couple of weeks ago, and I sat down with them in a room and asked them some questions about the movie, and then they answered those questions about the movie. And guys, you got to listen to it. It's really good fun. This is revolutionary <laughs> stuff. My God, I know. Yeah, it may catch on. <laughs> And you did all that before I managed to kill them that day. Nice job. Was that the... I actually saw... I was meant to talk to Brian Tybiemi that day. I saw him as I was arriving. I walked uh, through the corridor. He was coming through and going to a different room. 
and that was the last I saw of Brian Tyree Henry that day. <laughs> that's the day. Can we can we explain? That yeah, you, you got the you 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 had the cove. That is the day I found out I had COVID. Yes. Yes. Um, that was the moment I found out I had COVID. Yes. I mean the previous days of shaking and shivering and coughing might have been a, yeah, a clue no, as well. Yeah, I I know. I was a little bit under the weather. What what, and <laughs> what was the extent of your testing, Amon? What was the extent of your oh, testing? Oh, I was testing every day. Were you? Yes. Were you? Yes, I was. I'm going to get lower. Were you? <laughs> yes. Okay. Because it strikes me that you probably just went, Hey Siri, do I have COVID? <laughs> and then Siri went, I don't know what that is. You went, good enough for me. I'm off to the junket. La 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 la. I'm going to infect my friends. And then and then you, you arrived and you and I fist bumped. We did. Uh, yeah. Because I thought you didn't have the cove and I had just mm. been tested. I knew, you know, categorically I didn't have the cove. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you actually you gave me your, I gave, <laughs> my, I, I, your badge. I touched you. Said, <laughs> well, you, you touched me. You, you gave me your uh, sort of lanyard. That, uh, that they were apparently only given to people who were COVID-free. Didn't have COVID, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you a, jinxed me, that's what it was. In an act of ultimate alanacine, <laughs> I gave Amon, I anointed Amon a COVID-free, and then COVID went, hang on a second. And then you had to leave yeah. uh, stage left, pursued by COVID bear, and <laughs> and there you go. And then as a result, because I was, this is a bit of an aside, but as a result, I was on my way home to interview David and Kelly, because I didn't have my podcast equipment with me, and I was in a car on my way back to my flat, and then I got a phone call going, a slot has mysteriously opened up. <laughs> so they turned the car around, and I came back, and I did it face-to-face with David and David and Kelly. Uh, little did I know that it was because Amon had basically died and was being uh, winched out of the, uh, the hotel mm-hmm. <laughs> on some sort of stretcher. No, you were totally fine. You walked out of your own volition, but, uh, yeah. but you know, there you go. Thank you for allowing me to do this interview face-to-face. And now, should we hear the fucking interview? Here we go. Here's David and Kelly. Do please enjoy. <laughs> David Kelly, welcome to this Bullet Train Spoiler Special. Now, David, when I did this with Ryan Reynolds for Deadpool 2, yeah. he called this spoiler therapy, which is <laughs> all the stuff that you haven't been able to talk about for the last two years or so. Like you can now unburden yourself. And uh, weirdly, strangely enough, Ryan Reynolds is perhaps where we should start uh, talking about Bullet Train, because Carver yes. is interesting to me. Did Carver actually have a stomach complaint or was he pulling strings that we just can't possibly fathom? What do you think? (laughs) I think that one's up to the interpretation of the audience. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll explore it in um, in in a future with Carver's character. It seems like you're setting things up here. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. um, Look, he was so fun. Uh, It was so fun to have Brad on the set of Deadpool 2. And um, so it was really, you know, when um, we had this opportunity, we came up with this character Carver because um, it was actually something that came in during mid um, pre-production when we were adjusting the script and we sort of, we came up um, with this twist at the end. It wasn't something that was in the original draft. And uh, we needed someone who Ladybug thought he was, right? Or they thought Ladybug was. Uh And we're running that gag to the bitter end and so, we thought of this, oh, wouldn't it be great if we found out who that person was? And it was you Ryan, know, Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Because <laughs> it had to be. And the deal was that he would do it, but he wanted to be in for exact the amount of seconds that Brad was in <laughs> um, Deadpool 2. Yeah, yeah. I want it to be just I think this it was short. pretty close. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. You it's just pretty, want that flash. It feels, it feels in, in Deadpool 2 that Brad is 
blink and you miss it. Was, it, was that Brad Pitt? It, it yeah. feels like that. But, yeah. but here, Ryan gets there. It lingers on Ryan a, a little longer. Yeah, I would he, say. Yeah. He, he yeah. might get he a few milked. more frames. He, gets a few <laughs> he, more frames. he probably <laughs> milked it on purpose because he's got to take the thing off. That, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just long enough for you to go, who's this going to be? Who's it going to go? Oh, of course it's Ryan Reynolds. Now it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And what was funny about that is they were shooting um, Adam Project, Adam Project in, Vancouver. in Vancouver and we were shooting in Soundstage in LA and you know, I called, we called Ryan and I said, can you do it on green screen? So we'd set up our shot and we had all the light and we had the plate done oh, and the yeah. car explosion and all of that. Yeah. And then, you know, we, our cinematographer, John and Sella got on with their cinematographer and they, you know, lensed up the shot and they shot that on green <laughs> on Sean's set. Yeah. And sent it to us. We, so we, he never even came the, on set. This is like modern suit, filmmaking. We sent the suit and the helmet. Um, and gave him a couple to choose from, I think. Yeah. And then he got to choose, and then they shot it there. We couldn't go, if, even if we wanted to, because COVID. COVID was yeah, he, like, he, would had, COVID. he would have had to be in lockdown to come and do the cameo. Like, we would have flown him in, but it was, like, weird times. So yeah. we He made kept, it. like, filming what they had, you know, reshooting on his iPhone, what they had shot. He's to like, how about to this David. take? How about Is this, this take? Good? I'm like, oh, go again. <laughs> Tell like, Sean, go again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was hysterical it was, it was so fun it's really fun yeah that's he amazing. hasn't seen it yet i no, mean I, by the time this is out he probably hopefully he will have seen it, seen it yeah. Yeah. yeah but he has not seen it yet and he's out with a stopwatch going okay that was <laughs> oh, that you was, guys that was three frames. <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably be happy about it <laughs> it'll be fine it'll be fine yeah. absolutely but people so, like just oh, no way i mean yeah. you know he's obviously in david stable he, he you yeah. know he had that show he showed up in hubs and shaw for that oh, great yes. scene but mm -hmm. So uh, it was fun. so fun that he showed back up for yeah. this one. Yeah. Of course, Channing Tatum as well. We might as well talk about Cammy as well. Spoiler. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. This, this is the thing, Kelly. This, this is the therapy. You'll, you'll get used to I'm it. I'm feeling yeah. good about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, like right now, you're, out. you're like, can we talk about this? <laughs> By the end, you'll be like, spoiler list, spoiler last. Would <laughs> you like another spoiler? Yeah, I've got spoilers in my bag. Would you like more spoilers? <laughs> be fine. Totally fine. But uh, yeah, Channing Tatum. Channing. Yeah. That was... Uh, that was also not in the script, I think, maybe. No, we, well, there was a, it wasn't going to be, it could have been anybody, you know, it was listed as a mysterious man on a train, you know, that was the character, like burly man on a train, you know, it was someone that was supposed to be sort of in the same sort of look profile as Ladybug so he could do the disguise with mm -hmm. him, mm -hmm. but it wasn't really slated as a cameo, but we just one day got giddy about the idea, like, what if it's someone you know, and, um, we had reached out to Channing's camp and um, he was really excited. Again, they just was, happened to be around, yeah. happened to be like into it. I he, scale. They both, you know, I don't even know if we paid Ryan. We had to offer. Like, I don't know. Don't tell the guilds. Like, like, I'm not sure who got paid, but um, whether they're doing it for scale or they're doing it as a favor, we're not so sure. But Channing shows up that day and he's just like ready for game. And we hadn't, you know, we were so busy. People, actors were coming in and out. It was really like kind of episodic that way where you'd have like Bad Bunny for a little while then you'd have somebody else for a yeah, little yeah, while. Yeah. And yeah. then Channing shows up and we hadn't really thought about a costume that much. And thank goodness our costume designer, um, Sarah Evelyn Brom, happened to have the exact perfect color of green, like puffy that like was... I mean, it could not have matched better yeah. the color of those two coats. I mean, she obviously had figured it out, but like, yeah. <laughs> we were like oblivious to it. Yeah. And it just was so perfect. And he, yeah. he's such a surprise, I think. Yeah. Like, you have no idea. And people just go crazy. They, they do. And I remember that um, Aaron didn't know that we were bringing in Channing. And then so he's in the makeup chair. And then, you know, he steps out of makeup and he walks onto set. And he's like, 
I'm doing the scene with Channing Tatum today. And he's like, you didn't tell me I'm doing a scene with Channing Tatum. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't think you'd be concerned you're doing a scene the, with Channing Tatum. So he wasn't on well, the call sheet couldn't necessarily. Keep, couldn't put those things on the call sheet because yeah. if things got out, of course. you don't want any of those cameos to get out. So you just don't say anything. And um, I, I, in hindsight, I probably should have told him a day earlier <laughs> or whatever, but he was like, he was like, and he was like, oh God, oh God, yeah, like, oops. But um, spoiler for him. Oh, and he was so fun and just this breath of energy that we needed that day. And they just cracked each other up to the point of like, it's it, it was really hard to choose which ones to use. Yeah. There's so many alts to that yeah. scene. Scene and they yeah. just get raunchier and more uh, ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> you know the scene. There was the moment where the, you know he comes in. He's like, you know, okay, big boy, I got you. And there was all we played a version. It was just like this long innuendo of like, you know, you're gonna make me look for you. And like it was all this weird <laughs> sort of like um, innuendo. And Channing's just getting into it and into it and into it. And, uh, I, and ultimately, there's some great versions that didn't make the cut. And maybe they'll. They'll be in the additional materials because it was pretty so funny. funny. Just to bullet train oh. the Channing cut. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but when he shows up, it's really interesting because, you know, because the very nature of the film and the fact that you have, you know, an unknown assailant run around this train knocking people off every now yeah. and again makes you suspicious of every Everybody. single passenger. Yeah. So, you know, is Masi Oka, is the conductor up to something? Yeah. Is that lady who shushes, you know, the, the, in the yeah. quiet car? Near the other fight between between Ladybug and, and Lemon, is she dodgy in some way? And is Channing going to be yes. something? I also? had never thought of it that yeah. way. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, <laughs> actually. But that was never on the uh, the agenda. It was never more of Channing or more of of Massey. You know, or, we had a um, we had a scene with him leaving the train. You know, I had a question earlier. It actually, was like, oh, where did he go? You know, and I think because some people, because he's Channing, you do think maybe there's going to be a payoff and. Um, we had a scene of him exiting with all the other passengers where as no, the, he, as people start leaving the station and it gets he less. he exits when hero comes on yeah. in, in that foggy sort of scene. Yeah, um, well, we took it out. Mm. We but we ended up taking it out. The studio was really worried that people would worry about what was going on with Channing. And then we found in testing that it wasn't that big of a deal. And so mm. we ended up cutting it. But um, yeah, I wonder if we should have kept it in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there you go, huh. director's cut. <laughs> it's fine. Um, just go back and snip it back in. You'll yeah, be, we'll just, that's, we what, that's what we'll do, right? That's what filmmaking right? is. Like, <laughs> you just snip it back in. That's not even what happens. But uh, but yeah, it's fine because you're, you're Channing. Obviously, is you know the, not the, the character you're keeping track of. The character you're keeping track of all the way through the film is the boom slang, which I thought was really <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, yeah. By As the someone way, who's got a huge fear of snakes. Oh yeah, phenomenal. I mean, a lot of those shots are the real snake. Julian Sylvester is the the wrangler, isn't he? I mean, that guy's the best. Hardcore. Yeah. So it's a real boom slang. No, no, no. It was a corn snake of some kind or something that looks really close okay. to a boom slang. I mean, okay. not it's like a stunt I mean, double. <laughs> it was yeah. a stunt double. Like I mean, we didn't. It was never. We never had a boom slang on set. But, no, there were know. two of them, and one of them, um, you know, one of them was a little bigger than the other, and. And there was one that performed incredibly. I mean, you never, you, you know, we saved us a ton of money on visual effects, speaking producerially, because you think you're always going to replace all of the snakes. And it turned right. out that we didn't have to. It was like, She's oh like, my God, look money at that left snake. Right. It was like, it was so Cool. You know, and next time we're going to be doing Jumanji or something <laughs> <laughs> with all these real animals. Yeah. We'll save a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> that rhino can totally do that, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's interesting because once you bring the boom slang in from that, that early news report of a boom yeah. slang that's been stolen from the, the suit, you're expecting the boom slang to, to pop up and bite someone important at a certain juncture in the film. 
Um, obviously, it bites Ladybug just after he's had the the anti venom, which made me laugh yeah. a lot. But so perfect. Is that always <laughs> the idea? Because you know, you're saying there, David, about the script. You know, this yeah. thing is labyrinthine, and there's lots of everything is balanced up, and there's lots of payoffs and callbacks and setups, and which is what we loved about it, like the tapestry of reveals and the and the the plant payoffs. I'm nuts about those. And this this script at the begin in the beginning had it in spades, and then we just kept adding on to it, like mm-hmm. as we dug into pre-production and even into production. Um, Talking about the snake moment, what made me laugh is like Brad's improv about, I need a magic marker. I need a magic marker. I got an idea. And he does this thing where we didn't know what what he's going to do. And it's like, um, you know, he writes on the top of the toilet seat, you know, like (laughs) snake. Don't open. Don't open. Snake. And I was like dying at the monitor, like snake, don't open. He's oh. like, my character would totally do this. I'm like, I love it. Yeah. And it c- kills. Like the audience finds it so funny. He's full of those brilliant ideas that some came um, early on and then some came as he was Lanny Bug. You know, obviously the toilet scene, like this is a great one, right? Two days before we're shooting the toilet scene, the smart toilet scene, he, well, he's just supposed to be sitting in the bathroom having this conversation and it's expositional, right? Mm-hmm. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and he's like, I gotta be doing something. I gotta be doing something. I'd like, we got a smart toilet. J- Jap- you know, um, in, it, Jap- in Japan, one. there's smart toilets. Yeah. Which we had in there. He was No, but he, we did not we didn't have, have it functioning. We didn't have it functioning. And he's like, no, I wanna do physical gags with it. And so now it's like special effects is like scrambling to like plumb that part of the set and like get the water in there and like get the button on the wall and like <laughs> making it work. And we have two effects guys behind there with the hose so he can do the things. Yeah. And he was coming up with all these great physical gags and it was a really fun riffing moment. And then again, it just becomes another iconic moment for his character, you know, yeah. blowing his hair with the air dryer. Yeah. And I mean, those toilets are amazing. If, you, if yeah. you've ever been to Japan, they are just, amazing. They are a pleasure to the senses. They, they are. are. Lady the senses. Senses. They, they ruin you for all of the toilets <laughs> after <laughs> that. It's just, they've they got really heated do. seats, yeah. music, <laughs> the whole kit and caboodle. It's, it's, it's quite incredible. But, yes. but, but speaking of the, that, those, those setups and those payoffs, mm-hmm. what was the one that was hardest for you guys to track and to make sense of all the way through? Hmm. Oh, um, there were a few, but the one that came to mind for me was the prince's gun. Oh, yeah. So it okay. was really kind of critical to, you know, note which one was hers. There aren't that many guns in the movie, really. Yeah. Especially in the main character's hands. And so David came up with the idea. And it was really, like, nerve-wracking for Tom Rossman. He was like, I need to know where that gun is the whole time. Because it really kind of connected to him with regards to what the payoff was going to yeah, be when it you know, backfires the on the person it, right. who shoots it. And um, so David came up with the idea that uh, after she sort of manipulates the gun that she puts her little hair tie tie on it and sort of always signifying and it's pink and it's hers. And so it's sort of like always being able to follow that along. And it was a really cool sort of, you know, move, I thought, to like make sure that you were just kind of tracking that gun. And it feels like something the prince would do. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. It really worked. And again, it's not because all the guns kind of look the same. It's hard to make something distinct. And then um, another one that surprised me, like, I think I had missed this when we were shooting it, but was where the diesel sticker ends up on her back from yes. the death of Lemon, basically, or the, yeah. you know, what we think is the death of Lemon. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm blown away every time I see it still to this day that like David had the wherewithal to like 
have that moment where Lemon puts that sticker on and then that pays off when Tangerine sees it and he knows that she's the diesel. It's just like, oh my God, it's so good. Like yeah. it, that was a great yeah. one. We had, you know, I had different versions of that in the edit. Like I shot, I shot it where you really see him do it. And I shot the little bit of the reverse of that, seeing it. And then every screening, we just, you know, Elizabeth, who's a great editor who helps us navigate all those things. Um, we just kept cutting it back. Give him less, give him less, let it be more of a mystery. And so now it's, you barely see him do it. You know, he's like, gives her a hug, uh, you know, tell him goodbye or whatever. And then it, like, mm. you don't see him put the sticker on, but we have, like, we used to have it. Mm. So anyway. Yeah, it's, like, it's cool. There, and, and it looks great in IMAX actually. Cause you like, it's more connective in some way because everything's yeah. bigger, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's super subtle. And and that, that brings us nicely to, to Lemon and Tangerine who I honestly did not expect to connect with as much as I did. I mean, Aaron and Brian are phenomenal in this and yeah. in many ways they're the hearts of the film. I yeah. mean, that, that relationship is really impactful and I found it quite moving. Uh, when, when Tangerine dies was, was yeah. that, I, mean, you know, I want to get into the 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 the, uh, the concept of fate that you know runs all the way through the film and little things that Tangerine says to Lemon, which ultimately leads to Tangerine's death, which is yeah. really interesting. But yes. was that always the way that he was going to go out? Was he always going to go out? First of all, was you know in, in the script that one of them was going yes. to die in that in that way? Um, in the original script, they both were going to die, and Lemon died first. And Lemon died first. Um, so when you see him die, when Lemon dies, the first in you know he's wearing the bulletproof vest. That was an inspiration during the middle of shooting where they were doing some improv in the, in the car, in the gangway after talking about the white death. And he's like, you still got that vest on you? And he's like, oh, I, don't wear a, I don't wear a bulletproof vest. Uh, mm. you, know, you, know, you might get shot in the neck or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but you, you might get shot in the chest. And then they, yeah. and it was a set, it just put this thing in my mind like, oh, he could have a bulletproof vest on. Long story short is that at some point um, early on, we decided we wanted Lemon to live and there was, yeah, I think it was a motivation just to have some more fun. And um, we had this idea with him and Ladybug in the cab and like how interesting that could be. And another surprise that you weren't thinking of. And I remembered the take that we did. He talked about the bulletproof vest. So we had a great Well, you planted way. that actually. I planted it. I, you're right. I did plant that option because I knew we were going <laughs> to. <laughs> and, and, and some but, of it was actually the original draft. Andrew Kochi's character was in the ca cab, front cab with um, with Ladybug. Mm -hmm. But to service the relationship between the father and the son, yeah. he really needed to be with in the other fight. With dad. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. So that ended up being sort of like one of the, the reasons motivating. to keep Lemon alive so that Brad had, or, you know, Ladybug had somebody to like be, you know, playing mm -hmm. off of and worrying yeah. about in that whole scene. Um, and it worked out really, really well. Yeah. I think when he comes back to life, I mean, people are like laugh and cry at the same time. I think like, it's like, <gasps> am I in hell? Like, am I in hell? It's like, they're just like laughing hysterically. Well, it's brutal as well. I mean, there's there's a perverse yeah. streak of humor that runs all the way through the film, yes. and like, you have these these. Uh, I want to talk about those the sort of mini films within a film that you do the, the yeah. seventeen death sequences and the uh, the sequence and. Uh, the uh, the wolf sequence and the and the water bottle sequence, uh, but the wolf <laughs> sequence you get this guy as a mini movie and then immediately kill him, which <laughs> which I thought was very funny. But you know, is that is that kind of reflective, I guess, of this perverse streak of black humor that runs all the way through the film? That Tangerine yeah. ultimately gives Lemon the advice that in a way yes. leads to his death. A hundred percent, and it's what I loved in the script, and um, I would track, I tracked it meticulously as we were doing the scenes. Like I mean. 
I loved it. And I, it was a big, it's a big science project. It is a big logistical puzzle, but it's what was really compelling to me. You know, I just loved it. And it is, um, you really, okay. It, it, all these characters are ultimately servicing the elders revenge. It's his time. Right. Yeah. And so even though, and it is, and again, like we're seeing like what lemon says or what tangerine says, the lemon ultimately leads to his death, but you know, he still had to die for that piece of the puzzle to happen. So, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so ladybug is still alive because ladybug is going to serve with the elder at the end to mm -hmm. carry the gun to the white death, to have the head. Like yes. it all happens because it's the elders moment. Yeah. And all these people don't, they're brought there for all these different reasons, but and fate game. is delivering justice for this character. Mm. And they're kind of just the like pawns in the game. Pawns yeah. in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what I found really fascinating. And again, and then within the, within that crazy structure, there's still these mini plant payoffs about the choices you make and how all of a sudden it turns on you. And a yeah. lot of that was there. The thing that wasn't yeah. in the original draft that we read was the heart and sort of wh where your alliance was and where the, you know, you were, were feeling the feels for various characters at yeah. any given yeah. time. Yeah. And that we, especially, I mean, David infused, just kept infusing, like, and it allows you to like have real empathy for like any given character at any given time when Prince dies, I mean, cries and is like speaking the gorgeous Russian, by the way. I mean, extraordinary Russian by yeah. Joey King. Like, and she's crying and she's just like, wants to be seen by her father. And then like, he just like brushes her off. You're, you were never part of my plan and walks away. It's just, oh my God, you even feel for her and she's horrible, you know? It's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's pretty awesome how uh, you interwove the, the heart of the characters throughout the mm. film. Thanks. I mean, you know, we always try to do that. I mean, it's like sounds crazy in a movie full of sociopaths, but you want to find those little moments of humanity. Mm. So you care when they die. Like, and you can, you can go along on their journey, even if it's a sadistic one. And there's mm. a little bit of empathy for them. So we can, you can write, you can pull out the emotional heartstrings and yeah. have a journey. Yeah, and that relationship between Lemon and Tangerine, the flashback, you know, like the use of, uh, you know, forever blowing bubbles. Yes. As a Liverpool fan, I wasn't particularly happy sorry, when I first time sorry. I saw it, but, you know, sorry. it is what it is. And it's I know fine. It's gonna, but it will play, it'll resonate here in the UK, I think. Yeah. Because, um, you know, our, our composer is a Brit, uh, yeah. Dominic Lewis. Yeah, yeah. And phenomenal. it was his idea. Like, phenomenal. He knew, you know, when um, Aaron wanted the West Ham socks for his character, and he's like, I'm West Ham, West, West Ham fan, and so is Dominic. Sorry. <laughs> and he's like, we should do bubbles for their theme. And so we've created all these different versions of it. And he scored them and played them. And it's really beautiful I as a funeral march of like yeah. Lemon's death. I think he's singing them a lot. Yeah, of he's times. He also, he also voiced them, yeah. except for Engelbert Humperdinck. Engelbert yep. Humperdinck did mm -hmm. the. Uh, seven, 16, 17, 17 kills. kills. That's amazing. Oh, there's a spoiler there. That is amazing. David Leach is the 17th kill. Did you catch that? I didn't catch that. I didn't. There you I'm, go. I'm kill 17. Yes. Explode. You all right, buddy? It's <laughs> <laughs> probably his acting. I did, see, I, I did see you were credited at the end because you actually have a character name. Is, is it, if, if I'm right in thinking. It might have been the yeah. you know, dumb tourist or something. <laughs> And that's who it was. Okay, it was Kill 17. Was that, was that part of you? Because obviously you have this, this filmmaking challenge of you have this film set almost entirely on a bullet train. And that presents a challenge in terms of claustrophobia, in terms of keeping things interesting visually for the audience. And the, the chance to do these mini movies, oh, yeah. the 17 kills, the, the water bottle, that must have been really exciting for you both. 
Yeah, I mean, we had to fight for the wolf. I, I, although the studio really loved it, it's mm-hmm. a great four million dollar cut. Just to be honest, like, <laughs> as a producer. and so yeah, you're talking as a producer too. But like, so you know, you're just sitting there going like, oh man, the budget, the budget, the budget. Like, we're gonna just like go on this journey with this guy and just rip him off, like, yeah. as soon as he hits the train. Yeah. But you know. David really fought for it. It's it's an opportunity to have an experience. It's also really is that big first rug pull that you kind of know what movie you're in at that moment. And it's mm-hmm. just sort of this crazy buildup and where the fuck am I? Excuse my French. I don't That's know if I totally can And it's like, <laughs> And, um, you know, just kind of spinning, spinning, spinning. And actually, I think one of the main reasons it ended up living in the movie is because we ended up getting Bed Bunny, which was really late in the process. We had, you know... Like to find just the right Latinx kind of, you know, star to lead that and allow for you to go on that journey and have all the empathy and like be sort of like striking, you know, because there's so many great actors. But it's like, who is that? What in the world? Yeah, just the fresh idea. <laughs> yeah. And and it ended up sort of saving the sequence, to be honest, like Bad Bunny saved the sequence, yeah. I think. But then again, <laughs> linking that into everything else and having the hornet and the poison layering it in there and setting that up. Was that something that was in the script? It was script? already in the script. It was, yeah, it was, it was in the script. Was and, in the I, and you know, the concept of those flashbacks was in the script too and in the novel. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, in a novel, you can escape for longer periods of time and it mm. is sort of a motif. And so I was just fascinated by it, like having to do these mini movies inside the movie. And Kelly knew how passionate I was. And um, and it's so unconventional, but it's just so the the language of this movie. Like mm. I knew it would be, and I think once we executed it, it was undeniable. And then all the questions from the studio went away and they're like, okay, we got it. Thank you. You know, it wasn't like a, they were so super supportive of such a crazy thing, but you know, even the white death, like I love relishing that, you know, Aaron's doing the monologue and Michael Shannon's walking around in the mask. And like, we're this poetic thing that we're sitting in for two and a half minutes of like fire and people getting killed in mm. Jap- Japan. And mm. like, I don't know. I, makes it we're you know we're telling this fable about fate it was really beautiful to go to these like fantastical environments yeah and there was a moment where you know i i don't know if you planned this or not but the wolf like cries over his love and young hiroyuki sonata's character elder cries over his dead wife in the almost exact same like howl to the moon and mm. like with the camera kind of pulling up and I just there's yes. such a that was planned s- I'm sure <laughs> no, you said, I, don't know I was you trying to be like you know <laughs> for you but like <laughs> anyway, David even if it wasn't to take the credit you know just claim, just claim it just claim it no I would just totally like that and, was, yeah, no, I mean, I was thinking about that. And then, like, and then the water bottle had its own rig, like, oh. it, which was hysterical because it would be like water bottle shot, you know, because you're you have you're to shoot it while you you're shooting get the, the water bottle shot before you leave like, that scene. Yeah. So like this weird rig comes out, and like you know all these strange little things, like when they're trying to push it out and roll it in the exact perfect way on the set when it rolls into Andrew Koji's hands. Yeah. Uh, it was just like it tripped everybody out. It was always the last shot we got from yeah. the day, and people and it always took forever because <laughs> <laughs> something was always just a little off on it. It was like it wasn't as good as, as a snake as an actor. No, to be no, honest. no, the water bottle was a lot harder to get to act for sure. <laughs> and uh, the seventeen kill sequence, um, I have to ask about that because. Uh, there's all kinds of fourth wall breaking going on in that yeah. with, with Lemon and Tangerine directly <laughs> commenting on the on the kills. Um, that's a really fun 
yeah. kind of riff. Was that David was that Leach special? Yeah. <laughs> That's all David Leach all day long. I, it was that version that was in the script as like, you know, 17 kills in 17 seconds. Okay. So it was like, you know, no. And I, I don't know. I think because we were doing these other longer flashbacks, it just got me really excited about, um, telling the actual story of that night. Yeah, and yeah. actually the the stunt team had done some choreography, you know, as they do and they riff and they're a core group of guys that I work with all the time and they had come up with an idea. But then when we got to the location, I could see an A to the B. And that day I, I had worked with them and re-choreographed everything. And I'm like, we're gonna tell the whole story and it's gonna be slapstick and fun. And it was some, one of those things that came to me at the last minute, but because we shoot action so, all the time and my crew is really, even my, cinematographer and everybody knows we fall into a groove and we again we came up with some great gags and it's also isn't it the first action of the movie so you kind of needed it to feel like it you know and it comes in pretty late for an action film too Mm -hmm. so you wanted it to feel like a real moment i think Mm. we shot in a actual fish market but the tubs of actual fish were put off to the side to be safe, but it still smelled so disgusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, it's a spoiler uh, yeah. for you. I've been to the fish market in Tokyo at four in the morning. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a hell of a place, but it's <laughs> also quite a smell. But yeah. uh, um, we've already got a couple of minutes left and uh, being the master journalist that I am, I haven't even really <laughs> talked about Brad or, or Ladybug yet. And um, Ladybug fascinates me because this idea of, of, of fate that you were talking mm-hmm. about, which you know, obviously it's something that's tied to the original novel, but I imagine there's something that maybe the domino sequence in Deadpool 2 maybe piqued your interest a little bit in terms of showing how things can, it's a very cinematic concept when things go wrong or where things go awry or when bad luck turns good for somebody. Yeah. That could be something that's really exciting for a director. Um, there, is a, there is a little uh, flavor of um, domino. the domino in Ladybug's yeah. action. Yeah. And that sort of Rube Goldberg, Yeah, you know, this causes this, causes that. And again, it was sort of an uh, analogy for the rest of the movie, right? You know, his, he's a microcosm of like what his, the way he, his good luck turns in, his bad luck turns into good luck is sort of like how everybody's life is intersecting at this time. It's, you know, these concepts are all sort of intertwined. Mm. So it was fun. Um, I also think he, like I, the origin of he, him at this time in his life is like, he's a bit of a pacifist. So yes. it's like, you know, you kind of need. <laughs> he's trying not to kill people. Yeah, he's really trying not to kill people. All he does yeah. is kill people the whole time. Yeah. So it's, you know, kind of a great way to sort of, uh, you know, that Rube Goldbrickian where sort of like those moments that fall into the bad luck turning into killing the people is mm. sort of what you really needed in order yeah. for him to be, to be an action, action actually, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> to be the hero in yeah, a way. Yeah. yeah. And, and having him, going back to Tangerine's death, I mean, having him be kind of responsible for that. Yeah. Was, was that something that you talked about in terms of, you know, people are always going to be on Brad Pitt's side, but, but yeah. I think people are also so much on Tangerine's side by that point that it's actually quite a shocking moment. I think it was, um, you know, we I had, we had conversations with Brad about, you know, about his character and that moment um, for a bit. And it was like going back and forth. It's like, um, should Joe, you know, should the prince's character do it? You know, should it, you know, or like he, at, the lights go out and we don't know what happened. Or like we were trying to figure out like how to make sure that Ladybug was still redeemable. But ultimately, I, we felt like with the material we'd shot that the theme of fate and you can't control your fate and his bad luck mm-hmm, needed mm-hmm. to be bad at some point, you know, and he needed to have a low point that it actually worked. And so we shot it that way and we mm. leaned into it. And I'm so glad we did. 
Yeah. Because I think it sort of is like, it, it is his darkest moment yeah. of the soul for this story. It's like, I can't, I just tried like stop the guy and I, you know, and he's like, I'm going to get off this train. It's like a done, like he's killed now three people. And it's like, I'm out of here. It's just, it's, it's interesting as well because he obviously has his own emotional through line, yeah. but he's the only major character. He's the only person on a train who isn't emotionally connected in some way to the white death yes. or to the elder's storyline. And that's clearly a very deliberate decision to, to center your film around this character. Can you talk about that a little bit as well? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's the core sort of like conceit of fate, you know, like he they're all dealing with a lot of different themes of their own. Right. Like brotherhood, revenge, like all these kinds of things. His is like 100 percent like he is not supposed to be on that fucking train. Right. <laughs> he's supposed to be anywhere. But and the only reason he's there is because of Carver and he's just trying to get by and, you know, and then the, you know, uh, elder brings it all and coalesces it like uh, your whole life has brought you here to this moment. He's like, that's a shit deal. Like, because it is, by the way, like he sh that's not fair. Like, you he should know what be I mean? off at the stop one. He should be off at the stop one. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like Carver shouldn't have gotten a stomach ache for God's sake. It was probably fake, you know, and it's yeah. just like yeah. all this stuff. And so it, we were blown away by that notion that that could be the core of a commercial film. It's so yeah. unconventional yes. for the arc of a character. And it was one of the struggles at times because he is such a pacifist. He doesn't, He, I mean, to us, the story of Ladybug is that he's just like all the rest of us. He doesn't change, it turns out. Like, like none he of us do. He does. You know? He thinks he you does. Think you're like, you know, uh, then the, he ends it on a fart joke. We're <laughs> yeah, yeah. He ends it on a fart joke. Yeah. Like, and, you know, we're trying to say like a lot with that and i don't know if it's ever going to resonate because it's like maybe it will hopefully it will but like the the truth is humans don't make those giant arcs that happen in film not in one night especially in nine minutes yeah two, two and a half hour like what you know and so like we were just profoundly impacted by that and it, it was a struggle to be honest like as we were testing as we were sort of like getting to a place where people could sort of go on the journey and feel feel fulfilled it was like, how do we allow, how do, how do they feel fulfilled, even though he hasn't changed in the end, you know? And it's, there, people are so set on sort of like expecting change in our protagonists yeah. that to do that is to us one of the big coups of the movie. Absolutely. There's an episode of The Simpsons where uh, Marge says to Homer at the end after he's gone through this big adventure, I hope you've learned something from this, Homer. He goes, Marge, my friend, I haven't learned a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's great to see it on the big screen with Marge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. David yeah. Kelly, absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you so much. You so much. Thank, Thank you so much. What a great interview. Yeah. Thank you Thank so much. Let's, uh, let's switch tracks, shall we? Oh, <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's good stuff. Let's That's leave the stuff. station. Look, you're sending mixed uh, signals here. Come listen, <laughs> I just want to give you guys a platform to <laughs> discuss this movie. Uh, so Can that we try was... and conduct ourselves with a little bit <laughs> of professionalism? <laughs> All right. For the four people who are still listening to this podcast, uh, that was David Leach and Kelly McCormick. And I thought it was a really fascinating interview. Have I shared it with you guys? Nope. Okay, good. Um, I should make that... Like the tradition going forward, I should yeah. share it so you actually know, know what they were talking <laughs> about. Anyway, I thought it was a really fun interview, and I think this is a fun film. Um, but I suspect I'm slightly more up in it than you guys. Uh, am I right in saying that? I had a really good time. Hooray! Helen's oh. in the bullet train camp. I had a good time until I didn't. Oh, I oh, think Mr. I think Buzzkill, <laughs> such a Gordon. I think I think the first ninety minutes or so, shallow as this film is, I was having a really good time. 
the last 30 minutes feel like they're an entirely different movie in certain respects. It felt like they got a studio and though this needs to be bigger. And it got, gets a lot more cartoonish, there's a lot more CGI, there's a lot more ridiculous stuff that happens that I don't think is in keeping with what had come before. But before that, I was having a good time. I will say I could have done without it destroying an entire village. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. super great. I didn't see that coming, if I'd be honest, because I, I had stayed away from the trailers. I think I maybe saw the first trailer. I saw the first trailer that ends with uh, Brad Pitt and Aaron Taylor-Johnson hanging off the mm-hmm. off the train as they're speeding along. And I was like, oh, that's how Aaron Taylor-Johnson is going to die. Because I thought it was, it was going to be one of those movies where, you know, everybody dies. wasn't far off. But, <laughs> you know, it, I thought it was going to be one of those films where he's going almost through carriage. Mm. You know, it was a different film. Yeah, it's almost a sort of train to Busan, carriage by carriage yeah. kind of a... And he a, has a match. different challenge yeah. in each carriage and mm. he has to take out these people. And it's, it's not that movie at all. But in the, the first trailer, I thought, okay, that I've seen too much. So I, I stayed away from the second trailer. And so I think the second trailer probably hints a bit more at the carnage and the fact that the train derails and crashes and all that stuff. I felt that was maybe a little bit over-eggy, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I'm honest. Uh, I'm, I'm with you until that point... In fact, there's an exact point in this movie where it didn't lose me, but where I felt, oh, that's a shame, because it was so good. I had one of those as well. What okay, was what's, what's your point? My point was Aaron Taylor Johnson breaking the window to get back on the train. Yeah. Ooh, why is that? It just didn't seem physically possible. Well, none, oh. of, none of that moment seemed like a, something a, a, a human being could do. This is something that, well, you said that in the Grey Man's World Special, uh, but... Oh, we, spoiler. We, we just, this is something I wanted to bring up then as well in that these movies I think given how superhero movies have become the dominant thing now so many of these movies even though they're not with superheroes have superhero moments like that we see it in this movie we see it in The Grey Man we definitely see it in The Fast and Furious because Vin Diesel is able to do ridiculous super powerful things Dom should have died a long time you know what I'm saying Uh, and when so much of the movie around moments like that is grounded to a degree, moments like what you're talking about feel like, okay, where did that come from? I, okay, yeah, I get that. But I also think this is a very heightened world. And it everyone's... is, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's like the John Wick films, and yeah. you know, in that sense, like suddenly there's an assassin on every corner and there's mm-hmm. whole assassin codes and a whole different assassin <laughs> ecosystem. Yes. You know, I, I, yeah. I get that. I'm totally yeah. with it on to That's that degree. Okay. But it was something like that. I was like, I, I don't think physically, I don't get the physics of this. Like, And I'm, again, you know, I'm okay with action movie physics because there's superhero physics, there's action movie physics, there's sci-fi movie physics. Mm-hmm. These are different from, you know, physics. I'm okay with that. But that was one of those moments where I'm like, mm, I the, don't see how that's happening. I physically don't see how that's happening. The problem I have with that, I don't have a problem with it from the point of, I, I, I think it's really nice that he, you know, he does that because I want to talk about Tangerine a lot. I want to talk about Tangerine and Lemon a lot because mm-hmm. I think without them, the movie doesn't work remotely as well as it does. I think this might be Aaron Taylor Johnson's best performance in in a weird way. He's a really, really good actor and he's got mm-hmm. a lot of great performances under his belt. But this maybe look at him in a, in a new light mm-hmm. and you can see why they cast him as Craven the Hunter based on this film because... Yeah. It's the three-piece suit, isn't it? It's a three-piece suit. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's the Tash. But he's he's got a commanding physical presence in this movie but he's also really, really funny but also imbues this character in a film that otherwise could be a bit lightweight and glib and so does Brian Tyree Henry with some actual heart and yeah. some emotional stuff that you can hang your hat on. Anyway, I'm going to talk about all that stuff later on. But the... <laughs> 
so he has a motivation to get back on the train, and I get that, and maybe that motivates him the same way that a, I, a yeah. mother can pick up a car. Exactly, mm-hmm. I think that's I think off. that's the impression they're going for. Yeah. I just I just even with that, I I find it difficult to to stomach. And I I literally mm-hmm. thought the mother with a car thing in the cinema. I was literally yeah. like, this yeah. is that's what they're going for. But I ju- it just it, it I find it really really hard to. To, to make that work in my own head okay. watching the film that's interesting because there's another thing you could you could bump up against mm-hmm. with that as well which is that it's literally the 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 window of you know you, you're smashing the window of one I'm pretty sure an alarm would go off but it's one of those movies where you have to deforce it from the reality of, of yeah. our world yeah. it's, this takes place this is Earth 838 not <laughs> Earth 616 uh, so what's, what's your moment that you my moment is Tangerine Dine quite frankly because I think it 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 doesn't feel. I, I I would be okay with either of him or Lemon dying, and as you heard David and Kelly say, the original plan was that they would both would die, mm. and that they they did basically bring Brian Tyree Henry back. Um, I'd be okay with that. In fact, that was the expectation going into this. Mm. But again, it's and I know the movies about fate and the cruel twists of fate and how something someone says to someone down the line, a throwaway comment leads to, you know, he says a throwaway comment to Lemon about not wearing a bulletproof vest, which then leads Lemon to put on a bulletproof vest off camera, admittedly. Uh, and then Tangerine thinks he's dead and then goes off in this grief spiral. But the way he died felt so grubby to me. Mm-hmm. And so and sort of, sort of kind of accidental that once he goes... The movie loses it, it, a lot of its it, heart. Yeah, it did. Lo- it did lose something yeah. because that relationship is is becomes so important to this movie. So important yeah. to this movie, and I think you could argue that the movie. It's a strange thing. The film and the filmmakers are, and I, I guess they're doing this to to pull the rug from under people's feet. And you know, I guess you're not you're not going to do anything else in the film headlined by Brad Pitt. Mm. Okay, but they are positioning Tangerine to be the hero of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he, he is actively trying to do something. He has a direct relationship with the White Death. He has the phone call. You know, he's like, you know, I will meet you on the platform at the, uh, mm-hmm. and I will, I will kill you. And he's like, ah, fucking come on. Mm-hmm. And he gets back on the train to try and save his brother. And then he dies like that. I, I know there's a point about the grubbiness of death and how it can just hit you out of nowhere and it's a random factor. And you're not going to have Aaron Taylor Johnson or Brian Tyree Henry become the heroes of a film that is headlined by Brad Pitt. But it just feels like once that happens, it happened in such a way that I was thinking, this is a fake out. Mm. This is a fake out. He's going to come back That's at some interesting. point. Interesting. Like, yeah, the, the way he dies definitely left an impression on me. It's one of two deaths that feel another level of grim that feels at odds with some of the other destiny like this is in many ways a light fun movie precisely yeah and that death with Aaron Taylor Johnson and the death with Zazie Beetz's character the Hornet mm-hmm. they are grim full in your face like disgustingly grubby <laughs> deaths that you are sort of laughing at other elements up to that point and even sort of with certain deaths like when um, the bad bunny dies even though that's like a really silly thing that like it, it happens in such a way that's like oh and you're sort of like chuckling a little bit. I was uh, that's part of the reason why I wanted to watch it with a bigger audience uh, for the second time. I wanted to see what the reaction was going to be, and with the Aaron Taylor Johnson death and with the Zazie Beetz's death, 
you almost felt like the audience was wondering, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Or is it just the way it's happening is so grim? I'm not sure I feel uncomfortable doing that. Uh, and I, I, at that point, I had become, because I didn't expect to, I'd become so invested in Tangerine and Lemon, mm-hmm. way more than I was invested in Ladybug. And listen, I think this movie is a ton of fun. I really do. I think yeah. I, I, had a, I had a great time with it throughout. Uh, but yeah, as you know, you'll, you'll have heard the interview with, with David and Kelly that I did. I'm going, guys, you killed Tangerine. And it, you know, I was mm. like, that, what? Come on. Uh, and of course, that's part of the point. And the part of the point, you know, the whole, the whole dark joke of mm. the Bad Bunny sequence is that they give this guy this big convoluted backstory. They give yeah. him his own little mini film and then they immediately kill him. Sazzy Beats comes into it. They immediately kill her. And so there's 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 something about the harsh unpredictability and the, the fact that death is a cruel mistress. Uh, because those characters, with the exception, obviously, of Andrew Koji and Hiroyuki Sanada's characters, are the only ones who have an emotional connection mm-hmm. to someone else on the on the, the train. Really, there's the late revelation of the of the prince and the white death. But by that mm-hmm. point, Joey King is too far gone as a character. There's there's no coming back for her. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong here in trying to apply some kind of emotional logic or connection no, to a movie no, that is actually trying to keep that sort of stuff at arm's length. But for me. Those those two characters, I thought were going to be the worst kind of Guy Ritchie knockoffs when we first meet them. Yeah, and then over the course of the the screen time that they have, they are so much fun together, and they manage to eke out moments of humanity in a film that is almost actively trying no. not yeah. to be humane. No. That I connected with them, and so whenever it does, they feel both like a went. Waste. Yeah, because yeah. at that point, at that point, we think Lemon's dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they were both gone. I thought that that's man, that's dark, that yeah. sucks. I, it took me a while to recover from. I didn't expect to be ranting about it after twenty minutes, but there you go. <laughs> but the, the best, most effective flashback in the film, which has a lot of flashbacks, we should probably talk about that, is the one with Tangerine and Lemon uh, when they when they're young watching TV together. That really adds layers to their relationship, and there is profundity in the heart they have. Even in when Lemon sees Tangerine dead, even the Thomas the Tank Engine, which at that point had been sort of a quite funny joke, is given a new layer when he sort of takes out a badge, I think it's Percy, and puts it on his brother. That, that really, really works. Yeah. So you, you, you're, you're not wrong to sort of mm. um, poo-poo that. And their whole, um, the Rollo Tomasi thing pays off really, really well between them. And that only works because they have such a relationship. So when mm. when he sees the, uh, yeah. the diesel sticker yeah. on the prince, on Joey King, um, it, it, that, that sort of connection pays off in a big mm-hmm. way. But yeah, it, it did feel harsh. It felt like the movie lost something when you lost Tangerine. And I appreciate the visual joke of the Tangerine truck yeah <laughs> at the end but it, it didn't make up for it obviously <laughs> yeah, I, I was honestly waiting for him to come back mm. at some point because I thought yeah, yeah he's, yeah, he's yeah. had worse but yeah, it is the irony <laughs> of you know, <laughs> I saw the way the blood everywhere yeah the blood yeah, yeah. and I was like oh no, he's, he's dead he's gone yeah. <laughs> but it's the irony isn't it of you know, he says to his brother you know wear a bulletproof vest I never mm. wear a bulletproof vest and his brother puts on a bulletproof vest and he says well you can wear a bulletproof vest but you can still get shot in the neck mm-hmm. and that's of course yeah. what happens yeah, to yeah. exactly but um, yeah, it was just a little bit messy and grubby. But you know, but but hey ho, I'm mostly over it now. Uh, but I think I think honestly, it's a testament to the power of their performances because mm-hmm. it's a hell of a thing in a movie, top line by Brad Pitt, to carve out that space for yourself, and they do it really, really well. And I I do think there is, it does give the movie a, a little bit of a lack of balance because they they do make such an impact, and you want both of them 
to come through it in one piece and for them all to team up on the badens somehow. Uh, and I think it, it, I can see why it didn't happen. I understand like what they were going for with the kind of comedy and everything and the undermining of expectations, but it really does feel like you lose a lot because while I adore comedy Brad Pitt, I think he's great as a comedian and hasn't had an, done enough comedy in his career. I like his his performance in this movie as the slightly sort of befuddled mm-hmm. wannabe Zen master, you know, <laughs> assassin. I think I think uh, and and just the guy who's completely out of his depth in many ways. I love that about him. Um, but at the same time, it ends up being a less compelling arc to play than the bond between the brothers. And so yeah. you kind of end yeah. up wishing like it had been Brad Pitt sacrificing himself to save one of them or something, you know, just because their characters end up having so much more of an impact. I just think the balance is off and it, and it throws the movie a little bit um, because it's not that Pitt's doing anything wrong. I just think that the the, the two of them combined mm-hmm. have more have more to do, have more have more emotion between them than even he can muster with with you know Maria with with Sandra Bullock. And I think it's good to have someone with that much charisma on the end of the phone. What could have been a completely thankless nothing role. Mm. At least there is a sense of some connection there. There's a sense of mm-hmm. a, a human being on the end of the line for him, and that gives him something at least. Yeah. But it's not enough to counter what they're doing or balance out what they're doing, I think, for him. It's interesting in the interview with uh, David and Kelly that they were saying that they were worried because Ladybug is essentially responsible for Tangerine's death and they were worried that audiences might not be able to get past that. I wonder if that's why you have that not entirely satisfactory thread where Lemon's a little bit like, you killed my brother, but it's okay, I'll forgive you-ish kind of thing. Yeah, I I think that didn't bug me as much as it might have done, just because it did seem so accidental and because the whole situation is so chaotic and there are so clearly very bad actors involved, not in the sense of their acting is bad, <laughs> very in the actors. sense of very good actors doing very bad things involved. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, that didn't, that didn't bug me as much. It does seem very quick, but, you know, I, he didn't have mens rea, Chris. He didn't have mens rea. <laughs> I did like that it leads to Kinda. one of the funnier lines in the film at the end uh, where Brian Tyrion is like, you know, but but I gained a new brother. And Brad Pitt's like, really? Fuck no! <laughs> <laughs> that was great. What do we make of, um, what do we make of Brian Terry Henry's uh, accent? <laughs> you know, I... Mostly I'm, good. Yeah. I, I thought it was okay, but I, I am not the accent police. I'm I'm very, very bad at sort of, you know, recognizing and being the authority on anything in this realm. So I'm I'm gonna leave it to you guys. But I thought it was okay. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few moments where he, you know, it, it maybe yeah. slips a syllable or two, but mostly I thought he was really good. I mean it's it's um it's no Dick Van Dyke. No. no. It's no Don Cheadle. It's no Don Cheadle. <laughs> Barney Rubble. Trouble <laughs> I still think Bashatar, Bashatar. I still think Bashatar's backstory is that he's American, pretends to be Cockney. <laughs> I think they should reveal that in the inevitable. I say inevitable. It's it's, it's never going to happen. How do you leave the Ocean's franchise just sitting there? How do you leave it just sitting there? It's been fifteen years since Ocean's thirteen, and I know there was a, I know there was Ocean's eight, but it wasn't as good. Let's be honest. But yeah. it's been fifteen years since Ocean's thirteen. How? George bring, Clooney's still looking like bring George Clooney. Back. Bring, bring them back. Bring them back. I know Bernie Mac's gone. I, I know Carl Reiner's gone. But you know you can you can pay tribute to them whilst re you know casting 100%. new people. Oh, Bernie Mac, oh. legend. Yeah, Carl Reiner, legend. the director of 
the jerk. Dead men don't wear plaid, and oh. all of me. And man, and the man with two brains. Should we do a man with two brains spoiler special? Oh my god, yes. We should do an ocean spoiler special. Oh my god. I want to talk ocean about Dr. Hafar. Oh my god, I want to talk about whichever doctor that is Matt Damon pretends to be <laughs> in uh, in Oceans. Is it a doctor or is it Brad Pitt pretends to be a doctor? Anyway, one of them pretends to be a doctor. Uh, I think Brad anyway. Pitt is the doctor, isn't Isn't Matt Damon the, 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 the casino, casino inspector? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's right, because Brad Pitt turns up, does anyone ask for a doctor? And he's dressed in a very <laughs> unconventional way. Yeah. Still. And then if we, we did an Ocean's Eleven spoiler special, we'd have to do one for the superior sequel, Ocean's Twelve. Superior so. sequel? Oh, please, sorry. Have please, you not met me please before? Please don't get start him started on this. Please don't. Do you genuinely believe this? <laughs> of course I don't. Okay. Wind <laughs> him up and watch him go. <laughs> I just had to clarify that. It was such an outlandish statement. Um, However, I do have a lot of respect for Ocean's 12, and I think it's an incredibly bold and wild sequel that deliberately does everything that the sequel should do and the success of that experiment uh, can be debated by by, by some people I think <laughs> it it's will great be fun. debated by some people I also think Catherine Cedar Jones in that is as beautiful as anybody has ever been in the history of movies and but anyway fun. this is not an Ocean's 12 spoiler <laughs> special this is apparently let me just double check the name of the movie Bullet Train spoiler special yeah. so let's get back to Bullet Train mm. and that's that's get over the uh, small hump of Tangerine's death and <laughs> and get on to some of the stuff that I really really loved about this movie and you know David Leach he and Chad Stahelski burst onto the scene as action filmmakers with John Wick uh, Chad Stahelski has pretty much then ploughed the John Wick furrow oh my god chapter 4 looks insane yes it does oh my <laughs> god I cannot wait for that film uh and David Leach has gone down a different path. So he's since then he's made Atomic Blonde, he's made Deadpool 2, he's made Hobbs and Shaw, and now he's made this film. Um, I would say all of those have really, you know, I, I enjoy all of them. I think Atomic Blonde has got some incredible action. Incredible. Yeah. Deadpool 2, I think I may be in a minority in this and, and really like that film. But, mm. Didn't hate yeah, it. Didn't hate it. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, hate don't it, mind it. X4 sequence is an all-timer. Yes. That's okay. fun. That's a lot of fun. All right. And of okay. course, Brad Pitt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Brad Pitt. And Hobbs and Shaw was perhaps less successful. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll skip past that. But the he's island really. Will provide, brother. <laughs> the island will provide. That's the only thing I know about. <laughs> That's good. I'm, I'm glad you had to attribute that to the film because I did not know you were quoting Hobbs and Shaw at that point. Oh, yeah. The only way I would recognize a quote from that film is if you said, I'm Hobbs, he's Shaw. That's the only quote I would recognize from the film. But he's a very, very good action filmmaker. And I was really excited about this movie when it was announced because I was expecting some really good action sequences and fights and showdowns and stuff. It's not as weirdly enough for a film called Bullet Train, uh, Bullet Heavy mm. or Gun Happy, and probably that's a good thing, mm. uh, as I was expecting it to be. But what did you make of the action sequences from, say, the, the Bad Bunny a mini movie to the I thought brilliant seventeen kills sequence with Tangerine and Lemon. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, to the fight with Bad Bunny, to the fight with Sassy Beads, to the fight with everybody. Well, what did you make of all that sort of stuff? There was much less of it than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. To be perfectly honest, uh, I thought there'd be many more kind of showy action sequences in the sort of Atomic Blonde mm. style, like but a big old oneer. Not necessarily talking about a oneer, but just the impact of something like that staircase fight, but just you know horizontal instead of vertical. Yeah. Um, landscape instead <laughs> no. of portrait, if you will. You I know. guess Tommy Blonde tonally is a very, very different movie. It is, yeah. it is. But at the same time, I, I did think that tonally this was going to be a sort of 
an a, a more of an action movie than it is, and I think yeah. it's more of a comedy than it is an action movie for most of the running time. That's the point. And and that is not what I expected. I didn't. I wasn't mad at it necessarily, but um, but I had hoped for <laughs> a bit more than I got from the action. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'd agree with that. I think probably the best, my favorite action sequences, the one in the silent car between uh, Ladybug that was and fun. Lemon. That was a lot of fun, and you know, really pushed the envelope in the sense that you're in this confined space. What choreography can you do to utilize what is around you and help that impact the sequence as a whole? Mm -hmm. I think that sequence in particular is when it's when they did the best job of that. Yeah, I think what what this film seems to have for me is like great action moments. Yes, but there's no like Agree. big fight sequence. Yeah. That really stands out for me. Not even the the sort of I thought the sword fight at the end. Maybe this is what we this is what we get. Yeah. This is the big sort of duel. But mm. because we're, everything is going crazy at that point, the trains going literally going off the tracks and figuratively going off the tracks, and you don't have that sort of you know yeah. sword fight you know but extravaganza is, that I was expecting. As as is always the case, cool things happen when you allow Hiroyuki Sanada yeah, to unsheath sure. the sword. Of course. Um, so I, I I enjoyed a lot of that. But I, Even I, if he's not playing a swordsman, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think he is here, and I think it would have been great if they'd if they had if they genuinely had the big sword fight there. If they'd done more, I mean, frankly, for a film set in Japan, maybe we could have done more with the Japanese characters who are already mm -hmm. in a minority and and really get less to do than you think they're going to do. Masioka gets to like side eye some people and then kind of disappears. And I thought I thought he was going to I thought he was going to do something cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought same for um, Karen Fukuhara. You know, I thought like given how good she is in the boys, given how great she is with the action scenes there, why are we not using her action skills? And and Who also she the boys, she's Kimiko. She's a kind of super powered, but not like super super powered. Okay, you know. Yeah. Um, but she but she's great. And and also if you brought them into it, then you have again more kind of train architecture to work with. Yeah. You yeah. have like you could have done stuff with the trolley. You could have done stuff yeah. with uh with his like ticket machine or something. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You could have like played with some of that stuff in a way that I felt like this film didn't. So it's look, it's trying to be something different. It's not going for that kind of uh John Wicky all eye action. I appreciate that. But at the same time it did sometimes feel like a missed opportunity because while I really enjoyed the wisecracking assassins and the sort of bickering, mm -hmm. um it did sometimes feel like it was missing those bigger moments. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I did expect Masioka in particular. Um save the cheerleader, save the world. <laughs> precisely. Um <laughs> Uh, sat in front of him at the Watchmen premiere in 2006. Yeah, nice. Yeah, lovely guy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, but he just he gave off the vibe of being. You a didn't introduce guy. yourself? No. Chris, you're so shy. Yeah, man. I don't introduce myself to people. Who Why would you introduce me? Well, like, oh, hello, I'm right. sitting behind you. Hello. Hello. What do you do? I'm, just, I'm a big fan of your work. I loved you in Heroes. No. That's what I would say. No, he's, he, he gets it all the time. You got you to let these people chill, man. You got to let them chill. I would have let him chill after I said what's up. Why, why is it? <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> Claustrophobic. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. But I, I was expecting a little bit more from him. But listen, again, in a film like this which is basically smoking aces on a train yeah uh, and again that's a film which is jokey 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 True. and then oh no that character really liked has just died horribly mm. and now I'm not sure <laughs> what to yeah, do I mean that's that's the problem with that film as well isn't it yeah. you, you end up being like well you know it's a Tarantino line it's a tonal Tarantino it line mm -hmm. Tarantino can can um, traverse very nicely but some other filmmakers 
struggle with it. I yeah, think. and I think even even then, you know, something like Hateful Eight, you know, I struggle when I struggle a little bit when I don't like anybody. And I'm not saying that I I, I want everybody to be good, quote unquote, sort of good Captain America kind of upstanding moral, whatever else. But I feel like there, there needs to be somebody I can mm-hmm. get behind and hope yeah. they get through the film okay. True, but I think the clue might have been the title. I, it is absolutely <laughs> very much in the title. I, and I was braced for that in The Hateful Eight. And yet, you know, even with that, I was a bit like, well, I mean, I guess whatever. with The Hateful Kill Eight. Each other then. You've got oh god, it's a well, hateful eight special now. But <laughs> no, but you have less awful people. I, have, I appreciate that. Yeah, you can hang your hat a little bit on Sam Jackson. You can hang your head as the movie does. You can hang yeah. your hat on Walter Goggles. You can you can do all those. You, you, those are the characters you can kind of cling you, to a little, little bit, bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then Channum turns up and all bets are off. Speaking and bring of, me back. See, this, <laughs> is this is it, guys. Very I'm like nice. British Rail. I may not. I, I may. <laughs> I'll get you there. I'll get you there eventually. British Rail no longer no longer exists. Um, maybe we should look at that. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, Channing Tatum is in this movie as well, and in a movie like this where everybody is presented as a potential opponent for Brad Pitt and Tangerine and Lemon and the Prince. Mm. You know, it, it throws you off course a little bit. So you bring in Channing Tatum and you think, oh, this guy's going to be an assassin. You bring in Massey Oka and you have that little mm-hmm. subplot of him with with Ladybug. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be an assassin. You bring in, what's her name? Sorry. Karen Fukuhara. You bring in Karen Fukuhara. You, you think she's going to be something because, you know, she's got that scene with with Tangerine and Ladybug, you mm-hmm. know, with the, the, the bottle of water. Uh, and then it doesn't. And I do wonder if there was a version of this where maybe there was more to that because they just disappear. Yeah. Massey Oka's character just disappears. And, and you know, I, I just felt, felt like that was a little bit of a waste because I did want it almost to be fighting his way up the train and, and sort of, you know, the raid, but sideways. <laughs> yeah, and again, you yeah, can still have yeah, that and be yeah. comic and be funny and, you know, be a little bit twisty. But I, I thought there would be more of that maybe to it. But I get that that's not what they're going for, but it, it did feel like overstuffed with talent for some of the stuff it asked them to do. Mm. Having said that, I very much enjoyed the ridiculous um, Channing Tatum cameo. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy his his sideline in sexually flexible uh, <laughs> cameos in, in films. Like, this is the end. Remember where he was the gimp? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, and this one where he's very much, you know, up for, you know, he's something really mm-hmm. with, that uh, Brad Pitt might want to suggest. What that happens in Japan stays in Japan. <laughs> um, so I just I, I just think he's 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 very fun um, and very game for things. And and equally, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, credit where it's due, <laughs> that was a very funny, beautifully Should have respected timed that one. One, yeah, one yeah. shot. That's cameo. an amazing story in the interview, by the way, uh, where they were thinking, should we, do we have do we want to have someone as Carver? I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. But, but do we want to have someone as Carver? Okay, what about Ryan Reynolds? And Ryan Reynolds agreed to do it on the on the grounds that his screen time was exactly the same as Brad Pitt's screen time in <laughs> Deadpool 2. <laughs> Except that Fantastic. I think he's he's in it for a little longer. I think the camera lingers on his face because the Brad Pitt joke in, in Deadpool 2 is, was that Brad Pitt? Yeah. Whereas here it's like, oh, that's Ryan Reynolds. So of course it's Ryan Reynolds because, you know, he's, he's going to show up in the David Leach movie just ad infinitum yeah. uh, did you think it was going to be more with Carver at the end I was expecting I was kind of expecting Carver you know the master, the master assassin to come back at the end and maybe reveal himself as a mastermind behind it all the guy who got <laughs> all these assassins on the train no I think that would have overcomplicated things to I mean degree. it was pretty <laughs> overcomplicated it, really, it, it would have been quite funny if he'd turned up after the train crash you know almost as Maria turns up kind of thing 
and then just been <gasps> shot dead immediately. Well, they do the proposal too. <gasps> Honeymoon in Japan. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is this a proposal spoiler special? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. I, I'd be much happier with doing a while you were sleeping spoiler special. Can we do that? Oh, yes. One of the great Christmas movies. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great movies. It's why I put it number three on my sight and sound list. <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't put a sight and sound list together in the end. But 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 I if I did, I wanted Chicken. to put a, I wanted to put a camera in their office when they got it. <laughs> what the fuck? Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> He's put six Marvel movies in the top ten. <laughs> I mean, Paddington two. What are you doing? No, Paddington uh, two is a legit entry. Yeah. Hey, come on now. Hey, Avengers Infinity War is a legit entry. That's true. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was, we 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 know at least one person who's voted for Paddington too. Yes. Really. Sign, sign Paul, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, I was toying with it. It was. It was, it was close. close to mine. Don't yeah. you go sleeping on while you were sleeping. That is a that's a great <laughs> rom com. That's good stuff. I just like the way he leans. Oh, <laughs> it's so good because you know she she falls for the guy, then the guy goes in a coma, and then she falls for his brother, and it's a whole thing. Mm. And oh, it's so good. <laughs> So good. Great Chicago movie. Yeah, great peak Christmas Sandra Bullock movie. movie. Peak Sandra Bullock movie. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about Sandra Bullock? We should talk about Sandra She's Bullock. Great, she, she is in this film, so she and is. that would be a that legitimate That was a bit of a surprise. I thought she detour. was just going to be on the film. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in a heavily, heavily green-screened background. <laughs> it was very noticeable there is attack of the green screen towards the end mm-hmm. of this film yeah. uh, which does feel a little bit like there might have been reshoots which maybe might explain why the conductor of the bullet train suddenly leaves the bullet train <laughs> and indeed so does the driver apparently so well, um, well, this is the thing the whole anyway. the whole thing with the big crash and Brad Pitt going through the entire train only to walk away I know that he lands on like the, the big sort of cushion thing but they had that they had other people on the train. There's a huge crash and they are walking away. I'm not going to say unscathed because, you know, but still, compared to everything else that we've seen prior to that point in the movie, it feels like it's from a completely different thing. And It, it feels like the movie stops when they get to Kyoto and then it kind of starts up again. And obviously everyone then leaves the train. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's, the, that's the intention anyway. Yeah. Uh, everyone leaves the train apart from these vested parties and then... Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's a sense that you can't finish this film except with a train crash. Like if you if you finished it in the, if yeah. you finished it in the in the station, would that somehow be unsatisfying? You know, if 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 it finished with like then a car chase around town, would we be like it feels like they lost the plot when they the set USP. off the train? Yeah. So, but at the same time, I feel like you could have done something big enough at the station. Yeah, you could have done. Yeah, that absolutely. it would have worked. And I think I think maybe that's what we're asking. To have happened, I think that would have maybe been more satisfying than the yeah. um, than yeah. this. I also just think, in general, I would have liked the filmmaking to trust the audience a little bit more than it does. There's a lot of reminding you about stuff which is happening sort of right now, which has just happened ten minutes ago. Mm. We flashback to that. It's like, come on, we 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 know we know what you're trying to do here. Trust us to make the connections without you throwing it in our face every few minutes or so. Yeah, not not every train movie has to derail in that way. It doesn't have to have a big sequence of an actual derailment, you know. And there, mm. are, I could list, I could list a dozen movies, a dozen train movies that don't end with the train crashing. Sometimes trains just come to a stop, and then you can have a big old action sequence mm. on, on, on the on the platform or in or, in or around the train. But, yeah. You know. What did you make of the flashbacks in this, and the amount that we get? 
I had no real problem with them. I mm. I think they probably as a filmmaker you have a challenge of a film set entirely on a on a bullet train, and so you, you decide that can maybe feel a little bit uh, constricting. So why not mm. take the opportunity to to do these really fun little flashbacks? Mm. And it gives it gave Leach as well a, a chance to be stylistically a bit more liberal as well and like I say I thought that 17 kills sequence although obviously reminiscent of say something that would happen in a Deadpool movie mm-hmm. especially when they started breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera and listing the, the kills but that was just tremendous that was fun. really yeah. good fun yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Good fun. Now, I love that one I think the Bad Bunny one is fantastic because it's mostly dialogue free um, but it tells a very sort of concise entertaining story that mm. leads you to why he's there and the very so I I I like what they, what they did with that. There's a couple though which I just think like I I don't need the journey of a bottle. Oh, at I that do. point that was so good. The, at that point in that it, I I would have rather just preferred stay stay where you are. I don't need I don't need the journey of that bottle at that moment in the film when it's a really exciting action beat. I think I think over oh, over no, and uh, yeah okay that 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 really works for me. I, mm. I thought I thought stuff like that where you can see that he's trying stuff out and you mm. know as they said in the interview that wasn't something that they just improvised. That was clearly you know they had to take the bottle with them wherever they were going <laughs> and shoot stuff with the bottle. Yeah. The bottle probably had his own trailer uh, and the bottle had a little uh, extra small mini bottle of water that it was drinking. Mm. Um, I I thought it was terrific when when, when you mm. when when he kind of flies by the seat of his pants like that. That's exciting mm. to me. I really, uh, I, I, I connect to stuff like that. Mm. That was, I thought that was fun and different and weird. So yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't mad at that. It was a silly and a bit repetitive of a couple of things we'd already seen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had, I had fun with that. Making a bottle of water one of the main characters of the movie is so much better than <laughs> saying, you know, we always thought that New York was a character in this. In this. <laughs> like bottle of water, fuck it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought all that stuff was, was, was really, really cool. Um, I liked the flashbacks. You know, I I thought it was just a really fun movie. When I went in to see this, I know that a, a few people from Empire had seen it, and there was a, a divided audience. Uh, some people really, really liked it. James, for example, mm. uh, which I did not expect. James <laughs> James loves this film. And um, some other people were, were a bit colder on it, and some people were in the middle. And so I went in, oh, this is not the movie that I was expecting. And once I got over that, what I was presented with was just a really fun action comedy that just towards the end just kind of missteps a little bit mm. um, but apart from mm. that I liked all the yeah. stuff I, I like the fact that you know Brad Pitt's going to walk away from the movie you, you think right because he's Brad Pitt mm-hmm. but I like the fact that they were trying to do something different with the protagonist I like the fact that they were trying to do something different with Ladybug that he's the only one who's not emotionally connected to the story or emotionally connected to the yeah he's just a guy characters. he wasn't even supposed to be working today yeah yes oh, he's, right. yes <laughs> very much so yeah. You know, and uh, that's that's, and he's fun in the film. Mm. Yeah, no, Brad Pitt is a movie star. Um, <laughs> what? Hang on, gonna, I know. I got. I need to. Can you say that again? Brad Pitt is a movie star. If this mic were sort of, if I could kind of, I'd, I'd drop it right now. But it, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he. It's it's a, a movie star performance. He's given you all the charisma. He's a really sort of fun character to follow as a guide I guess because he gets to interact with everybody um, and I really really enjoyed that I like um, what Hiroyuki Sanada and Andrew Koji were doing with their relationship mm-hmm. with Hiroyuki Sanada my only issue 
is that I would have liked it if he talked like a normal human person <laughs> more than he does. Because especially in the last half an hour, it's very much every second sentence he needs to talk about fate. Like if you did a drinking game <laughs> with the word fate in the last half hour, you'd be drunk very quickly. Maybe not you two because you're teetotal. Um, but yeah. It's... But we'd be hydrated. <laughs> you would. True, but also if Helen and I did a drinking game as teetotalers, we'd be drunk a lot quicker than other people because our true. body's resistance to alcohol just isn't there. Or maybe it is. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we, we might be great drunks. We could be amazing We could drunks. be the best drunks. I would wake up on a trawler in Copenhagen with a human head in my bag. <laughs> I don't know that for sure, but I suspect you that. You feel it. You I feel, feel it. it in my heart yeah. of hearts. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you feel it so in your fingers and I you feel, feel it, it in, in my toes. toes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anyway. <laughs> Probably my favorite, aside from all the sword work, the, my favorite uh, Hiroyuki Sonata moment is when he's uh, trying to tell Brad Pitt, can, can I tell you a story? And they have that back and forth. And it's a really short story, but it's a really good story. I think it would be, I think that was like a really I'm fun... Good. I'm good. <laughs> that was like a really fun banter. I wish Hiroyuki Sonata got more of that to do mm. rather than the wise old sage talking about fate that we've seen countless times before and I think with this movie and even a little bit with the noosh in um, The Grey Man this whole notion of honour being the thing to hang your hat on with characters from that sort of area I think filmmakers need to grow beyond that and give these that guys that sort of area you mean outside America is, is, well, is what we're saying yes. yeah. Yeah. Because, the entirety of greater Asia yes. Yes, because yeah but hey listen there is nothing wrong with hanging your hat on honour I'm an honourable guy. Mm -hmm. I'm an honourable guy. If you say so. It's why I don't wake up on trawlers <laughs> in Copenhagen with a human head in my bag. <laughs> so I'm far. A, so far. But after this, shots. <laughs> <laughs> let's go for it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, yeah, this would be amazing if this was the podcast that, that tipped me over the edge. <laughs> From teetotaler to full raving Nick Cage and leaving Las Vegas in less than a week. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, on that note, maybe we should wrap this up. <laughs> maybe we should wrap this up. Let's get to the pub. It's 12.57. I believe they're open. Uh, we didn't talk about Sandra Bullock after all that. <laughs> we didn't. I, I think she's good. I think, you know, I think she's almost better on the phone than when she turns up because she has so little to do when she turns up. Um, I also question the logistics of why she turns up. Like, has she been how tracking did she, them? Yeah, how did she but, get there that fast? Yeah. Anyway, but fine. Um, the Bullock Mobile. Yeah. We I got the same question about Hiroki Sonada getting on the train as well. I mean, I guess he helicoptered down or something. Mm, I mean, he's the, rich. The train has some stops, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and then um, we haven't talked about Michael Shannon either. Who, no. I'll be honest, I had forgotten he was in the movie. So I was sitting I there going, <laughs> so I was like, who? Who's going to be the who? white death? Who could it be? <laughs> and then who he turned up and he looked awesome. He looked super cool in this movie. I really like that. Um, I, I wish he'd gotten maybe a little bit more again, fighting or something to do to justify how cool he looked. So again, if you just like skip the train crash, finished with a big old fight in the station and on the train, I think we'd be golden. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, two last things I want to talk about before we finish. Uh, one is Joey King. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, no, her, her character arc really worked for me in the end. Yeah, I like the performance. <laughs> I like Brian Tariami and his interactions with her especially were great mm -hmm. in terms of, you're a really good actor, that type of thing. I, I like that. Yeah. So it was yeah. Fun. I love uh, that he was on to her almost immediately. Immediately. And everyone else, immediately. And everyone else is just diesel. like, oh. <laughs> yeah, 
the most evil person on the train, I would say, by, <laughs> by, by a country mile. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, in fairness, the Hornet gives her a bit of a run for yeah. her money, but yeah. otherwise. I have true. questions, though. Like, oh, okay. In terms of they're pushing the child off the roof, like, how high was this roof? <laughs> I mean, because the, the goal was presumably to get him in the hospital and not kill him. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I have questions about that. But. It did look like quite a high building, actually, didn't it? Yeah. When we saw it? Hmm. Well, it depends on how hard you push a child off a roof. Uh, you have to take into consideration things like their height and their weight. So you have to take air into consideration air resistance, mm-hmm. what the wind speed is going to be like. So what I tend to do is I... <laughs> As your lawyer, Chris, I'd advise you to just stop there. Yeah. Um, I did like the... Um, <laughs> I did like the... Uh, how that was resolved though in terms of Hiyuki Sonata. Do you really think I would not have my son protected and yes. his yeah, guy yeah, takes out her yeah. guy? Yeah. That, was, that was good. That was good. Um, so Joey King, yeah, I thought she was very, very solid. A uh, good accent as well, mm. I, I would say. Uh, I liked the stuff with the bomb and the Andrew Koji character, the father being kind of trapped in her web. Mm. You can't really get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we have to talk about the snake. <laughs> we had to talk about we've had a lot of Chekhov's dot 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 mm-hmm. in films over the last couple of years Chekhov's flamethrower in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Chekhov's corpse in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness there was another great example a couple of uh, films ago but I can't remember what it is Chekhov's Elvis and Elvis uh, which which is if you see an Elvis in the first act he has to go off by the third act <laughs> so, um, that's che- dark Chekhov mm-hmm. wrote that Chekhov wrote those, those very words um, just, uh, just double check that yeah yeah, that's no, that's an actual quote from 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 Chekhov <laughs> from Star Trek, and, uh, and then of course there's Chekhov's boom slang yeah. in in this one, and mm-hmm. as someone who has a just a, a awful crippling fear of of snakes and indeed Brad Pitt, this was not the ideal movie for me. <laughs> yeah, they, that was it was it was scary, and again, you know, I like these kind of running jokes through the film, the the exploding gun. Um, which also had to go off, obviously, mm-hmm. by the by the last act, the the uh, poisonous snake, which you just knew was going to turn up any minute now. Um, but the, in fairness, they did play a little bit with that, you know, the fact that people were dying of poison yes. or toxin. And Logan Lerman, snake, haven't mentioned him. We yeah. haven't. He was fun. I thought he'd be around for a little bit longer than he yeah, was. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you <laughs> no know. one's safe. No, no one's one safe. safe. Except for um, the lady pug, who's completely <laughs> safe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, so I thought the uh, the snake would maybe get more of a key role to play but having that threat there at times was was quite fun and quite interesting yeah yeah and uh also the the joke of him the 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 uh the, the character that the boom slang finally bites has just taken some anti <laughs> venom yeah. I, I i you know i don't know if that works if you have essentially two doses of venom does one dose of anti venom take care of that i think the answer to that would be la 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 shut up <laughs> Movie logic, <laughs> but yeah, now the boom slang is used very well. <laughs> a sign of, I guess, it's, it's a testament to how well it's used. But I watched this movie twice. The second time, it still got me when it comes onto the scene. Like I, 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 I should have known it was me coming, and, and it's still like, oh, I, I had to. Wait. It's just one of the many things that Indiana Jones and I have in common. <laughs> mm, so many. You're trying to test your Indiana Jones now. No, no, no. He just has a lot in common with Indiana oh, Jones. Got a lot in like, common. Indiana Jones is also cripplingly scared of Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones also doesn't drink. Indiana Jones also hosts a weekly podcast. These are all things. <laughs> that when, where does. can I subscribe? 
Um, it's a ye oldie timey podcast. Um, <laughs> it was known as a radio show. Indiana Jones radio show would be amazing, wouldn't it? Would listen. The Henry Jones Jr. Radio Hour, where he just sits around and tells you about history. And every now and again, he just stops and goes and punches a Nazi. That would be great. <laughs> that would that be was, okay. That would sound brilliant, because <laughs> I think the best sound effect of movies is not the lightsaber. It's not the whoosh of the spaceship, like in Star Trek or something like that. It's the sound that Indiana Jones' fist makes when it makes contact with a Nazi's jaw. It is the greatest sound effect in movies. And if that were on a radio, if that were a podcast, I would oh, subscribe to that. War. Lovely. Punching <laughs> Nazis with Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones promoting Squarespace would be, <laughs> would be amazing. Anyway, uh, that belongs in the museum, that idea. So uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on and uh, wrap this bad boy up. There's a snake. It bites people. I don't like snakes. <laughs> I understand that they're important in the grand scheme of things, the ecosystem mm. of this planet. Um, but no, they can fuck off. Wow. Harsh. I am, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking train. And on that note, that is it for our bullet train spoiler special. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, our next spoiler special is probably going to be for All I Do It's Not Is Pray. Oh, yeah. I don't know the next word. <laughs> What's the next line? Open that. Something, something. Me again someday. <laughs> Pray, Dan Trachtenberg's Prey, the Predator prequel. I'm always like, what the fuck? I really was what like, the what fuck? is going on? Like, what? what are, are you drunk now? Are you drunk? I've, I've had some pre-shots. I should say, I should specify that. Uh, yeah, we'll be doing a, a uh, Dan Trachtenberg's Prey, and then we'll be doing Jordan Peele's Nope, and then we'll be doing... God, so many fucking TV shows. <laughs> I put together a list the other day of our schedule if we were to do weekly episodes for every major oh TV show coming out over the next uh, few few weeks. And then and once he stopped crying, he sent <laughs> yeah. it to us and, and said, this is impossible. That's when we realised we're not going to be doing weekly episodes <laughs> for the, for the, the TV shows. Um, no. Which is a shame because one of them in particular is tons of fun. Someone's can't, watched. I can't possibly say which one. Someone's watched Embargoed. I have watched Embargoed. <laughs> I've watched also Embargoed. Oh, like, which one Yeah, Embargoed is also pretty Embargoed. Embargoed is Embargoed? Yeah, it seriously is. Because I had an absolute redacted with Embargoed. You're kidding. Redacted? <laughs> oh my God. We're talking about two different Embargoed as well. It's amazing. It's so amazing. Anyway, listen, let's get to the pub and neck a shot of purest alcohol. alcohol. <laughs> Finding one, one alcohol, please, Martin. <laughs> uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. <laughs> totally. It's goodbye from Amon Woman. Peace. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to the bar. Last of the bars at Diesel. Choo choo. All aboard. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>